welcome to the wicket. Yes, it's time for a new episode of The Wicket, the weekly cricket podcast by Arab News that looks at the latest news and results from around the Middle East, Asia and the world. I'm Brian Murgatroyd and with me today and every week is Arab News columnist John Pike and cricket reporter Sebas Hamagain. We've got the latest from the ICC Cricket World Cup in India. John Pike is there and we get his impressions on the action. We've got an update from the T20 Tri-Series in Nepal, involving Nepal, the UAE and Hong Kong. It's a warm-up for all three sides ahead of the T20 World Cup qualifiers in Nepal that start on the 30th of October. The group matches are done and dusted, and with just the final to come, Subash Hamagain updates us on what's happened so far. Oman, they've been warming up for that T20 World Cup qualifier by hosting an Afghanistan A side. And the two sides have just finished a T20 series. We're going to chat about that. We'll have a wrap up of the Asian Cricket Council Men's Under-19 Premier Cup in Malaysia that finished earlier this week. We'll reflect upon the ILT20 UAE player draft that took place on Friday the 20th of October with 13 local players finding homes within the six franchises ahead of the second edition of the tournament that gets underway in January. On top of all that, we'll catch up on Pakistan's women hosting the Bangladesh side with a T20i series already underway. And we'll also chat about the fact that cricket is now once again an Olympic sport following the decision of the International Olympic Committee to have cricket as one of its sports at the 2028 Games in Los Angeles. So lots to get through, as I say. So let's get cracking and we'll start off at the World Cup. Where else? Thus far, there have been no close matches at the tournament up to this point. John, do you think that's a surprise? I don't think it's necessarily a surprise. I think I'd go take a step back and say, did we expect any close games? Are we in a position to anticipate any close games? Have we been spoiled or are we all spoiled uh, still by the memory of the 2019 final, which was the closest of the closest of games? Are we, has that set a sort of standard, a template? Uh, by which we're going to judge these matches. If so, I think that will be the wrong approach because one of those games come round very seldom. So I I don't necessarily think it's it's a surprise. What occurs to me is that you know, this is a rather cumbersome tournament of of ten teams. We've got a mix of preparation levels associated with them. I think we've got probably four teams who came in very well prepared with plans to to execute, and they've been doing those pretty well. But a couple of teams, England being one of them, I think, who are underprepared. And then we've got three teams who uh, most people would have been surprised had they won any matches. So I think it's, um, I think we should be not necessarily surprised. I think we should be probably shocked by the shocks more than than, than looking for close finishes. You know, Afghanistan's two victories and then that incredible victory by the Netherlands over South Africa at Damasala. I think it's more um, the, sort of sh- the shocks are surprises um, rather than anticipating close games. And maybe as we get further down the line, we're halfway through now, 
maybe when we get to those very tense matches that are coming up, some real shootouts in the semi-finals, maybe that's when we might be looking for closer finishes than we've had so far. And don't forget, generally the wickets have been pretty good for batting. Uh, and we've seen some superlative batting performances by people who are really turning in T20 performances in, in a 50-over match. Watching Glenn Maxwell in uh, in Delhi, the last 20 overs, I, I just I turned to people near me. I said, "This is T20 cricket. This is not 50 over cricket." He's turned it into a, a match all on his own at 20 overs. Sebastian, there have been lots of doom laden stories about the future of 50 over cricket. Is the format on its last legs, do you think, in the face of 2020 cricket, or, or is there still a place for it? Uh, looking at the results, I think there is still more to offer from the 50-over cricket, like in the World Cup. Uh, associate teams have come on and give us a few surprises. But uh, on the later expanse, I think uh, there's a bit of doubt coming over with the rise of T20 franchise cricket. Players opting out of the national team, national duties on top form. Uh, trying to play franchise cricket, getting big contracts. So uh, individually, the players, they may opt uh, to have a better deal in T20 cricket. But overall, I think there's still more to offer as a nation. If ICC, FTP, as we saw, there are a lot of bilateral series coming up. And uh, the associate cricket, as it stands, I think they have got a huge cycle coming up for the next four years. So OTI cricket is still alive, but uh, it's up to the players to uh, make their... Uh, responsibilities towards the nation or uh, maybe opt out uh, of their nations and get their franchise contracts. In a tournament without nail-biting matches, as the World Cup has been so far, is Afghanistan the story we should all be focusing on? Definitely. The way they have played in last few matches, play, staying with their strength, uh, we rarely thought we would see four spinners uh, playing in the uh, lineup, and they used it pretty well against uh, in the last match, and the, the the way that they express themselves, the top order batters, the spinners, and even the paces at the end, I think Afghanistan should be the story that we should be focusing about. And I don't think we it would be a miracle now if they get to the top four, uh, surprising few teams ahead. John, India have been pushed closer than at any other time during the tournament by New Zealand in Dharmashala. Was that a rehearsal for the final, do you think? Uh, I'm still not ruling out Australia. I think uh, New Zealand looked good, but there were some omens there, and not just for them, but for other teams. They were doing pretty well up to 40 overs, and then they were restricted to, what, 54 in the last 10 overs by some superb bowling, uh, particularly by Shami. I think we can expect to see more of that. I think India have just about got all bases covered um, from what I can see. I would hesitate to say uh, say it's going to be India, New Zealand. I think India's for, sh- for sure, unless something catastrophic happens. Um, I think there's a way to play yet before we can to say that that's a, that'll be a dress rehearsal. Sebastian, what's gone wrong for Pakistan and the reigning champions, England? Pakistan, I think they have had good start, but the India match, the way they collapse, I think they've got few doubts within themselves. If you look at the team right now, the team doesn't look as a unit that we saw in the, uh, the Asia Cup a, a month ago. And I think the injury to Nasim Shah, that w- what we discussed a few podcasts ago, I think that's hit them really hard. The, the way Afghanistan started the innings, I think they look toothless in the attack. Sain Safi has been a lone warrior and he's 
uh, is finding it hard to get his best partner uh, up top. And the batters, I think, if the, when the middle order fires, the top order is not performing. And when the top order is batting, I think middle order has not been supporting. So they've been failing to perform as a unit. And England... Uh, it's been a few, it's a week. It's been a week that uh, week to forget for them. Uh, they uh, took take on a pressure of being defending champions in this tournament, and they've not fired at all. Uh, the way Afghanistan outplayed them in the, in that match, I think they, it's it's hit them very hard. And injuries to Ristopli, who who looked like uh, doing something, uh, it's another blow for England. And I think the defending champions uh, will find it hard to go to the top four with the way they are playing at the moment. And which teams are your picks for the semi-finals uh, now, John, and why? Uh, well, India, I think, is everybody's uh, pick. I think New Zealand will, will will hang on there. I think South Africa making a very strong case to be in there. And um, on Australia, I think from where we... When we talked about this before the tournament started, I think for me, South Africa replacing England in that uh, likely semi-final lineup. They're all well prepared. They're hitting the ball very cleanly. Uh, they've got decent attacks. Australia have now got Zampa working properly, although his, you know, his wickets tend, tend to have been tail-enders. Um, but um, they seem to have worked out what to do. They seem to have worked out the balance of the side. The question, I think, whether they can stick with Smith and Labuschagne at three and four, whether one of them has to go. I'd be very surprised if anybody disturbs those four for the summits. And Subash? India and New Zealand, from the start, we've been saying India, they look like not stopping any moment. New Zealand, they've got their momentum, they're carrying with it. And Australia, in last few matches, I think they've 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 put on their name as the heavyweights and they've produced some results as well. The fourth spot, I think, will be a battle between Afghanistan. South Africa has looked like they're playing at the best. So uh, it's, 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 a, it's a bit of Afghanistan's luck how they fare out in the uh, other matches. But I still think it will be India, New Zealand, Australia and South Africa. Well, while the Men's Cricket World Cup has been ploughing forward in Nepal, a T20 tri-series has been taking place between the hosts, the UAE and Hong Kong, with all three sides using it as a warm-up for the main event, the Asian T20 World Cup qualifiers that start in Nepal on October the 30th. That tournament involves eight sides, Bahrain, Hong Kong, Kuwait, Malaysia, Nepal, Oman, Singapore and the UAE. And two of them will win through to the T20 World Cup in the USA and the Caribbean next year. The round-robin matches in the Tri-Series have now wrapped up, with each side playing the other twice each. And Nepal, well, they've won all four of their matches, while the UAE and Hong Kong each won a game against the other, but the UAE have qualified for the final on the 27th of October by virtue of net run rate. Subash, what have you made of what you've seen so far? Nepal, obviously impressive, and it's actually been their seam bowlers who've been the most successful, hasn't it? With Karan KC picking up 10 wickets, Sampor Kami picking up seven uh, has that surprised you at all? I know we spoke before the tournament uh, and you were speaking uh, about the fact that there was a lot of pressure on the Nepal spinners, but it's been the seamers who've come to the party. Yeah, the start Sumpal and Karan have gave, uh, it has surprised all of us here as actually the pits. Uh, it was newly laid and we thought the spinners would have Help uh, would have had help in this pitch, but the surface is batting paradise. Like we saw, we've seen two hundred odd scores coming up, big innings from batsmen, huge success as well. 
and spinners have uh, i think in for nepal lack of some uh, absence of sandeep lamichane lalit rajmangshi coming back from injury so that has given some space for karan and sompal to show their uh, prospect and they have uh, they have come up good uh, start especially start of the innings they have not let the op- opposition openers settle and uh, the, the captain rohit kumar podel should be credited big because he backed sompal and karan despite their lack of uh, result in the domestic cricket so he's ticked away with them and they produced wonders in this tri series can the other sides that's the uae and hong kong take any positives from the tournament ahead of the main event the t20 world cup qualifier yeah they've struggled to get the result but uh, hong kong especially the last match uh, i think uh, Babar Hayat coming back to form. Ansuman and Babar, they have uh, always gelled in to produce results for Hong Kong. They didn't get to the final, but the last match we saw 200 odd total. And the fact that they're playing in the same ground for the qualifiers, I think both of both the teams will be uh, taking a lot of positives from this. And for UAE, they still have a big final to play. TU Stadium, full house expected for Nepal crowd. And uh, with Brithy Irwin coming back into the team, I think UAE are still zelling up because they have made a lot of changes in this tournament. And But uh, Mohamed Wasim will be looking at their their strongest squad ahead of these qualifiers. Well, Oman have warmed up for that T20 World Cup qualifier with an impressive 4-1 series win over a strong Afghanistan A-side in Doha. It was actually quite a low-scoring series with only three of the 10 completed innings, seeing totals of more than 150. But the fact Oman were able to practice the format and win, because winning, of course, always breeds confidence, will be a massive boost for them. Akib Ilyas, a player we've highlighted on this podcast before, was the star with the bat for Oman, ending as the leading run scorer. And he'll be a vital cog in their wheel for the 2020 World Cup qualifier to come. John, uh, your thoughts on that uh, success for Oman, particularly as it followed on from them uh, struggling just a little bit against uh, Afghanistan A in the one-day series that preceded it. It couldn't have gone any better for Oman, could it? Uh, No, it couldn't. They're in buoyant mood. They're looking in very good shape. As you've mentioned, confidence is high. Looks like uh, they're peaking just about the right time for a very difficult qualifying tournament that lies ahead. They've certainly strengthened their case to um, to be a major challenger to the, to the UAE and, and Nepal. Now, the Asian Cricket Council Under-19 Premier Cup wrapped up in Malaysia on Tuesday, the 24th of October. It involved 16 teams divided into four groups with Nepal, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia and Iran in Group A, the UAE, Oman, Qatar and China in Group B, Singapore, Kuwait, Thailand and the Maldives in Group C, and Hong Kong, Malaysia, Japan and Indonesia in Group D. And those two rivals, the UAE and Nepal, contested the final. And it was a rain-affected match, too, that was won by Nepal, with Dev Kanal scoring 100 from just 92 balls. While for the UAE, Dhruv Parashar, who was drafted by the Desert Vipers in the first edition of the ILT20 as an off-spinner, he made 59 from 49 balls. But more than the appearance of those two sides in the final was the fact that Japan ended up third in the tournament, beating Singapore in a low-scoring third and fourth-place playoff. It means that Japan, along with the UAE and Nepal, will go forward to play in the men's under-19 Asia Cup 
that's set to take place in December of this year. Subash, what do you make of that? That's a, a fairly seismic development. Japan uh, making progress, isn't it? Yeah, Japan, I think they gave a top five to Nipley's uh, team in the semifinals as well. I was watching the match closely and in the, even in the group round, they overcame Hong Kong. So Japan looks like they have got a good bunch of young players. And with their with them playing the Asia Cup, I think that's a big news for associate cricket and Asian cricket. Japan coming up as a big uh, rising powerhouse. John, what's your reaction to that? It's uh, quite a story, isn't it, Japan? Yes, it's not a country that one associates yeah, very much with cricket. I've played against expats representing um, Japanese teams, but uh, this has taken it to a to a new level. Clearly, some some hard work has, has gone into getting to, to where they are. So it's interesting that the, the Asian countries, the ones that we don't normally associate with cricket, are beginning to make waves. And we've talked before about Thailand, where the Thai women's team has, has performed wonders. The Thai's men team doesn't do very well. But I think it shows that with proper facilities, proper motivation, good coaching, that there is abundant room for improvement in a number of those countries. Elsewhere, the local player draft for the UAE's own international T20 tournament, the ILT20, took place on Friday, October the 20th, with the six franchises involved selecting 13 players between them to complete their rosters of local players. The headlines were that MI Emirates secured batter Asif Khan. Another highly rated batter, Usman Khan, went to defending champions, the Gulf Giants. And the Desert Vipers, runners-up in Season 1, landed the services of leg spinner Kartik Mayapan, the player who took a hat-trick against Sri Lanka in last year's men's T20 World Cup. And Haider Ali, the left-arm spinner, who was the top wicket-taker in the ILT20 development tournament that preceded the draft, he was picked up by the Dubai Capitals. A reminder that each team must have four UAE players on its books, and two of them must be in each starting lineup. Eleven players had already been retained by the franchises, so now each side has its full complement of UAE talent. John, the... Uh, Interesting uh, stories coming out of that draft and no surprises as well that the likes of Asif Khan, Usman Khan, Kartik Mayapan and uh, Haider Ali were all picked up. No surprises at all there. I saw a number of, of the matches earlier this year and it is an excellent policy to uh, encourage local talent to not only brush shoulders with but train with and learn from experienced uh, international cricketers from um, from a number of different countries. They in interviews, you know, that they were very keen to point out how much they had learned and would continue to learn. One slight disappointment on that, which I might have mentioned before, is is that they don't, although know, they have to have two in each playing 11, um, as the competition gets towards its final stages, I noted that they tended to get less opportunities to show their, uh, their talents than um, in the earlier stages. So I think the, the, the main point to look out for when the tournament does start is to see which ones of those um, uh, local talents takes advantage in the in the early stages when they're given their best chances to, to shine. 
While Pakistan's men are having their challenges at the Cricket World Cup, their women are also in action in Bangladesh. A three-match 2020 international series followed by three one-day internationals, the latter forming part of the ICC Women's Championship. The opening match of the 2020 international series was played in Chattagram on Wednesday and Bangladesh won it by five wickets. That's significant because it's only the third time they've beaten Pakistan in 18 2020 internationals between the two sides, although one of those other occasions was in the bronze medal match in September's Asian Games. The one-day international series is also significant because it means points in that women's championship table. It's a 10-team series with only the top five plus hosts India securing direct entry to the next Women's Cricket World Cup in 2025, while those below the line will have to battle it out in the qualifier. Pakistan are currently fourth, although they've played more matches than most of the sides below them, while Bangladesh are eighth, so those one-day internationals to be played in Mirpur will be of huge significance to both sides. We'll keep across the results for you here at The Wicket. With the Men's Cricket World Cup going on, one piece of news that may have slipped your notice last week was that cricket's been accepted as a sport for men and women at the 2028 Olympic Games in Los Angeles. It's a huge story for the sport, given cricket's only previous appearance in the biggest global sporting event was in Paris way back in 1900 when only two teams competed. That was England and France. England won, so I suppose we could say they're the defending champions. John, is it good news for the sport, do you think, that cricket is back in the Olympics? Yes, I can't think there's any other way than to to look at it um, like that. Um, It's been something that's been fought for for a while, but looking at it in, uh, in the round, it does open up opportunities for countries to, for funding, and it also puts cricket on a on a global stage, so that countries which haven't previously had any exposure and the sport itself um, can be brought home to um, countries where cricket is, is is underdeveloped. So I think that from a, a promotional point of view, from a financial point of view, uh, and of course for the uh, Olympic uh, Organising Committee itself potential um, commercial bonus. So uh, I think it's um, it's pretty good news uh, all around. And of course, the, um, the driving force in that um, it's going to be in the States where cricket is growing uh, and where we're going to see a couple of the games in the T20 World Cup next year, 2024. So we can see something building here. And I think that's, um, that's really positive news. And Shabash, is it the right move for cricket? Shouldn't a World Cup be the pinnacle of the sport? rather than uh, an Olympics. What does it mean for ICC events, do you think? I think ICC events, they'll carry the importance for the cricketing fraternity uh, with the proposal of six teams playing and hosts. I think um, it will not uh, uh, diminish the importance of the World Cup, especially the Asia teams. They will never have an opportunity to play in the Olympics given the ranking procedure. So uh, like in the uh, in other sports like football, uh, World Cup will still hold its importance as the pinnacle of uh, uh, participation or competition. But Olympics, I think it's good for the rise of the game that uh, the teams, the 
I think the government will start to flow their support for these teams. And uh, we can dream on like Nepal. I think uh, Olympics is a, uh, we, we have never won any medal in Olympics. So cricket, there's a small hope that we can make it to the rankings and so on. So it's good for a sport, but I think the importance of World Cup will carry on even though the Olympics has uh, cricket in it. Well, that's to come in 2028 in Los Angeles, nearer time. Let's look ahead to what the next week's got in store. Among other things, of course, by the time of our next episode, we may well have a very clear idea of who the semi-finalists will be in the Men's Cricket World Cup. There's the T20 World Cup qualifier in Nepal. That'll be underway by the time we're with you next. And there's the uh, Bangladesh-Pakistan women's tour. That'll be well advanced too. What's on your radars then, gentlemen, World Cup or otherwise? Subash, I'll start with you. There's some big games to come at the Cricket World Cup, aren't there, with uh, Pakistan and South Africa, Australia against New Zealand in Dharmashala on Saturday, India against England in Lucknow on Sunday, and Afghanistan against Sri Lanka in Pune on Monday. And if Afghanistan win that, Maybe that dream of a semi-final could come true. Yeah, Afghanistan, I think their dream might come true. Sri Lanka, they've been struggling. They've got injury problem, but Afghanistan have everything unsettled. And like Jonathan Trott was saying, they can dream on from here. The confidence they have, they performed really well against Pakistan. And the fact that they were struggling against Pakistan in the previous matches and the win is extra special for them and... The way they performed, I think they can dream on. And if they beat Sri Lanka, you never know what's going next. And of course, Sebastian, you'll be uh, very heavily into the action, the T20 action in Nepal. What are you looking forward to most of all there? Yeah, Nepal, I think they've been unbeaten at home. They've got a big final against the UAE, the end of the preparation for the World Cup qualifiers. Uh, we're looking at top four teams, Oman, Nepal, UAE and Hong Kong to make it to the same finals. But Malaysia, they've proven themselves uh, in the Asian Games. They came close to beating Bangladesh. They have got Nepal. They've beaten Nepal in previous instances as well. So uh, Malaysia might spring up some surprises for us. But uh, you never know in TU Stadium, Nepal has been performing brilliantly. So I expect UAE and Nepal to make it to the final uh, without any hesitation. And John? I'm going to be in Pune for three or four matches, several of which are going to be shootouts, which may well have a direct impact upon the the, the semi-finalists. Hopefully, uh, there'll be some bigger crowds. Um, There's been a lot of press comment on the the lack of crowds. Um, Certainly, the ones who are there um, make a lot of noise. But I think we need to see more of it. It's just not not a particularly good look for the game, although, of course, as far as the ICC and BCCI are concerned, the revenue stream is from guys watching televisions rather than actually going to the matches. And we've talked before about the ODI format. Now, is it in its death throes? And what sort of future does it have? We've got, we'll have a one in, in 2027, of course, which is going to be 14 teams and longer. One observation I would like to make is that having been to, I don't know, five or six of these matches in India, they are long uh, and they're made to be seemingly longer by the by the exhibitionism of the uh, of the, the backup music and and support crowds and it's starting at two o'clock not finishing till 10 30 makes for a very long afternoon and evening it, it cuts out in the evening i understand why they're not starting earlier because of 
scheduling uh, Tesco's around the world, but it, it would make for, a, I think, a better spectacle if they started earlier and, and finished earlier. But um, that's just my view, and I'm, I'm sure there are lots of people who um, see nothing wrong with the, the current arrangement. Just before we go, one other uh, piece of news this week was the very sad passing of the Indian left-arm spinner and former captain, Bishan Singh Bedi, who uh, died at the age of 77. Sad news there from India, John, because uh, he was a remarkable man, a, a fantastic bowler and a very forthright character in retirement. He coached India as well. But uh, he was never afraid to uh, call it as he saw it, uh, and a big loss for not only Indian cricket but also the world game. Yes, I endorse uh, all of that. And I sat at uh, in the Aaron Jaitley Stadium, and over to my left, uh, the, all of the stands are named after famous Indian cricketers, of course. But um, on the, on the left, the top of that stand, it says Abhishek Bailey. Um, Stan, and you mentioned his forthright nature. He wrote to the, I think it must have been the Delhi and District Cricket Association, uh, requesting that his name should be removed from the stand. Uh, and this was because he um, he objected to, or wasn't, I think, um, exhilarated by the idea of naming the whole stadium after the person that it is named after. It seems that nobody took much notice uh, of that because his name is still up there. Uh, and thankfully, that it, it is there because uh, I think it uh, remains a, a fitting memory of uh, a fine cricketer, a fine man, and as you say, a, a, an outspoken critic of things that he that sort of upset his moral compass. Well, that's your lot. Thanks for joining us at The Wicket, and we'll be back soon with more cricket chat from the Gulf region, Asia and worldwide. Please don't forget to like, subscribe and comment on what you've heard wherever you get your podcast. And we'd love to hear your feedback and let us know if there's anything you'd like us to feature in future episodes. For now, though, this is Brian Murgatroyd, along with John Pike and Sebastian Hummergain, saying thanks for listening, and we look forward to your company next time. <laughs>